The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome. To another episode of the Bruce Exclusive, I am your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. This is a Buffalo Rumblings podcast, and we are rumbling. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we are rumbling. We have Bill's news to talk about. I have these topics that I want to talk about when I open an episode, and now by the time it gets to that spot, I've got a list of Bill's news to talk about. It's so nice. It's so nice to have Bill's news. Good, bad, indifferent, we have Bill's news. So we're going to go over some newsy stuff, and then we are going to jump into Know Thy Enemy, and we're going to start with the New York Jets today, as far as AFC East foes go, mostly because they're the ones who have making been making the most news recently. They're the ones who I find most interesting this particular year. Not necessarily the best, just the most interesting the most intellectually stimulating of our AFC East foes. So we're going to start with them, but we're not going to start with them right now. Instead, we're going to start with news. And we've got some stuff to talk about, ladies and gentlemen. First off, since the last time we talked, John Feliciano has been ruled out for a at least a good chunk of the season with a pectoral injury. His exact words on social media were, who needs a peck anyway in very Feliciano-ish sort of form. I'm disappointed by this. I'm not disappointed because John Feliciano was an elite level player last year. He was a pleasant surprise coming over from Oakland where he proved he was a serviceable starter after being a backup. And I think it was a very significant and savvy move by Brandon Bean to be able to pick him up for a very reasonable contract and get quality players playing on the offensive line for lower price. I mean, that's one of the one of the benefits of having a positive contributory pro scouting department in your team is that you're consistently able to figure out which one of your free agents is available 
because they simply didn't have a shot, not because they can't start. And that's something we talked about when we talked about going into free agency is figuring out why this guy is available. Because for the most part, if he's really, really good, he's rarely available. And so if he is available, the real question is why? And John Felicio is one of those players who he had good players in front of him. That didn't mean that he couldn't start. It just meant he had really good players in front of him. And he has proven to be a completely serviceable starting right guard in this league. And I was looking forward to seeing him healthy, especially after we figured out that he was playing injured last year. And I was hoping maybe second year starting, second year with Bobby Johnson, maybe we can get a smidge over serviceable this particular year. But we weren't able to do that. But since the Feliciano injury, multiple other dominoes have fallen in the interior of the offensive line. The first is that we signed Brian Winters. Now, I will openly admit I was a Brian Winters fan coming out of Kent State in 2013. I was a fan of him. I was not happy when the Jets drafted him. He's turned out to be very much in the same vein as John Feliciano, a serviceable guard who was neither elite nor bad and brought the right mentality to the locker room. That sounds a lot like John Feliciano. In a lot of ways, they're similar players. Brian Winters is an above-average athlete, and he has the right mentality. He's never going to give you elite-level play. He has never given the Jets elite-level offensive line play, but serviceable offensive line play. And when Brian Winters got signed, I said on social media that we have an offensive line talent issue in this league and that Brandon Bean has managed to take advantage of that vacuum the last couple of off seasons because he's managed to turn Marshall Newhouse, Russell Bodine and Wyatt Teller into multiple draft picks right around cutdown day because the offensive line problem in the NFL is real. We have a lack of talented offensive line, which makes the next move the bills made confusing to me. And that is cutting Spencer Long. Now, there is a possibility that this, the Long for Brian Winters swap is related to the comment that Brandon Bean made during his press conference where he said that the Bills are operating as if there will be a $175 million salary cap next year. Now, there's a, a, a probable chance, I would say, that the NFL and the NFLPA are able to come to a cap smoothing agreement so that it doesn't actually end up being the minimum next year. $175 million is the salary cap minimum next year. It's as low as it could possibly be. So there's a chance it's not exactly that. But the second that this went down, I started thinking that maybe that's a reason why. Because if you can get $2 million of relief from swapping Spencer Long for Brian Winters, then roll that $2 million over into 2020, that's a big deal when the salary cap is $175 million after going, you know, $25 million in the range of that lower than it was and $35 million roughly lower than what they thought it was going to be. That extra $2 million might matter. So is it that? Maybe it might be related to that, but I thought that was interesting. I also thought it was interesting that given the fact that Brandon Bean could find a trade suitor for Marshall Newhouse, he wasn't able to find one for Spencer Long. 
So I think it's interesting. It's I'm not here criticizing the move by any means because I think that Brian Winters, John Feliciano, and Spencer Long are all in the same tier as far as talent when it comes to interior offensive line. However, I just find it interesting. The other thing that happened is EJ Gaines, one of the potential combatants for that cornerback two-spot opposite Tredavious White, opted out of the season. You can imagine how I probably feel about this because EJ Gaines, to me, represented the beacon of hope for CB2 to be manned by a superior athlete. And I really, really, really want both of our cornerback positions on the outside to be manned by superior athletes. That is very likely not going to happen at this point. Even if Josh Norman returns to form, Josh Norman returning to form would still not indicate that it's being manned by a superior athlete. So that's disappointing. In case you were wondering if the signing of Akeem King does anything there, I would say probably not. Uh, Akeem King seems very likely to have been brought in for a special teams role based on his previous experience with Heath Farwell in Seattle and the fact that he's a sure tackler and the fact that the vast majority of his snaps were played on special teams the last couple of years. The Bills also signed defensive tackle Niles Scott from the Cincinnati Bengals. I do not anticipate Niles Scott being someone who can make this team. I do think they need an extra body at the defensive tackle spot. Having four on your roster at the beginning of the year is a lot different than having four in camp. And so I do think they need five, six, seven of those in camp. And so when you look at people like Vincent Taylor, people like Niall Scott, I do think that's more of a camp body maneuver, um, barring anything catastrophic there. So there's one thing I wanted to talk about before we jumped into the Jets. One other thing that I wanted to talk about, and that was the protected practice squad spots. And the only reason I wanted to talk about this is I just had a thought come to me and I didn't really want to put it on social media, so I thought I'd put it here. And that was that people are talking about these protected practice squad spots, and specifically the first name that jumps out to them is Jake Fromm. And I think that that's very likely that the Bills roll out Jake Fromm with this four protected, one of these four protected practice squad positions. But I think that there's a name that we are not considering that is impacted greatly by not having preseason games who might end up being on that spot, and that's Tyler Bass. So Tyler Bass is not going to have an opportunity to compete in a real game and hit field goals in a real game against real team in real weather conditions, not necessarily bad weather conditions because, you know, it's August, but actual weather conditions with wind at the Bills Stadium, whatever it's going to be called. And so... I don't think that they necessarily want to get rid of him because they spent a draft pick on him, but they may not feel comfortable getting rid of Hauschka in favor of him without statistically significant data that is game day. So wouldn't it be nice to be able to have a kicker on the protected practice squad spot that if Hauschka comes out and starts to struggle and continues to struggle the way that he did previously, especially from long distance, that you have someone available who you can bring up in that case and you don't have to roll the dice with Tyler Bass coming right out the gate. I do think Tyler Bass is someone who might potentially go in one of those spots and we weren't thinking about a kicker potentially for one of those spots but as I kind of molded around in my head I thought, you know who I think would be good for one of these spots? 
Tyler Bass. So that's uh, not related to pretty much anything I'm going to talk about before or after, but this is the randomness that you get with the Bruce exclusive. So congratulations to that. We are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back and then we are going to chat about the New York Jets, and I'm going to kind of frame for you how we're going to have these AFC East divisional foe discussions. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I am your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. You know, I'll have you know that I have been trying to balance out all the pictures of food that I've put on my Instagram by making sure I put pictures of my dog on there too. So in case you were following me on Instagram, first off, I mean, come on, follow me on Instagram. Totally do that. Also follow me on Twitter and stuff. But if you were following me on Instagram and you were wondering, hey, you know, there's a lot of food, not a lot of dogs. I've been trying to balance that out now. So you get food and dogs, which I mean, let's be honest, are two of the best things in life. So it makes sense why I would want to make sure that they were front and center on my social media. They make the world go round, food and dogs. I was driving with my wife today and there was a dog in the car in front of us and he was just going back and forth between the uh, passenger side rear window and the driver side rear window because he couldn't decide which side of the car contained the more exciting scenery and he just went back and forth and back and we just crack it up the entire way driving behind this car because dogs are better than people. So, We're going to start the AFC East divisional discussions called Know Thy Enemy. And as you do preview series on podcasts like this, you're constantly trying to figure out how to go about making them interesting. How do you frame them differently than everyone else is framing them? How do you frame them differently than perhaps you framed them previously or the year before? And Hopefully I'm doing this for a while and I have a chance to experiment with a lot of different ideas. And the way that we get to do this and the way we're going to do it this year is we are going to go through each of the AFC East foes and we are going to talk about their best case for 2020 and their worst case for 2020. And that's kind of the way we're going to do previews. We're going to talk about in an ideal situation for that team. Not an ideal situation for the Bills, but an ideal situation for that team. These are the things that are going to happen. And in less than ideal situation, worst case scenario, this is what happens. Now, we are going to try and keep it within reason, right? We're not going to say, well, best case for the Jets is that every other AFC East team gets stricken with all sorts of horrible maladies and has to forfeit every game. And the Jets go 16-0 and and they win the they go through the playoffs and they win the Super Bowl by default. I mean, yeah, technically, I guess, but we're not going to talk about it that way. We're going to talk about a best case scenario, worst case scenario within realistic measurements. So for the New York Jets, the best case scenario for 2020 includes the following factors. The first thing is that Brashad Perryman was not a one-year wonder in Tampa Bay. Brashad Perryman, you may have noticed, got mentioned by me in a previous podcast that just happened recently about Blake Bortles and about how Brashad Perryman performed in college and helped kind of make up for Blake Bortles. That did end up being the case for Brashad Perryman when he came into the league. He wasn't that same type of player. But last year, 
And the back half of last year, mostly due to injury in front of him, an opportunity in Bruce Arians' vertical system, Brashad Perryman kind of broke out. And the Jets signed him, hoping that that was a sign that he had finished kind of easing into development and was ready to take on a more significant role. Robbie Anderson was a player who left the Jets and previously occupied that vertical receiver role. So in an ideal situation, Brashad Perryman is able to do Robbie Anderson things better than Robbie Anderson did them. Ideally, that's a step forward, not a step back. The second thing that would indicate to me that the Jets were having a best-case scenario for 2020 is that Mekhi Becton acclimates quickly to the technique of pass rushers in the NFL. Makai Becton was one of my favorite prospects to watch on the offensive line for the 2020 NFL draft. Just bodied dude, straight through dudes out of the club. It was so much fun. And his physical gifts are so obvious. However, there are some technique issues to clean up in pass protection. And when you're at Louisville, you don't necessarily see elite pass rushers every single week. But... He's going to see a lot of elite pass rushers in the NFL. And when you're that tall and you're not used to seeing it, you're going to have to make sure that your technique is on point. Otherwise, people get under your pads. The dip and rip will give you trouble. There's going to be things that will be issues for Makai Becton. And ideally, the Jets will have him acclimate to those technical issues quickly. And he will be one of those plug and play left tackle starters for a long, long time. Joe Marino, Draft Network, host of the Locked On Bills. You know him. You love him. He and I were chatting, and he was like, you know, that's that's a myth we should have talked about, I think, on the podcast myths, was this idea that you can plug and play an offensive line starter that you picked in the first round for a decade, and it just doesn't happen as often as we think it does. It's kind of a myth, this idea that offensive line picks are intrinsically safer, and you get a plug-and-play starter for 10 years. You hear that all the time with offensive line players that are drafted in the first round. Oh, he's a plug-and-play starter for the next decade. What? Okay. The decade's a long time, first off. And that's not always the case at all. But Makai Becton, in this ideal world for the Jets, adjusts quickly and becomes someone who isn't problematic during a pivotal year for Sam Darnold's development. The next thing that needs to go right for the Jets in order to qualify for a best-case scenario, is that Denzel Mims finds a great fit where Robbie Anderson could not. So Denzel Mims, coming out of college, one of the big discussions for Denzel Mims was, hey, the route tree is um, pretty limited with Denzel Mims. And so because of that, he's probably going to be limited to a more vertical role. Now, you might say, Bruce, we just talked about Brashad Perriman filling the vertical role. I know. Um, a little confused myself by that, but when you could potentially have two of them, Denzel Mims, Brashad Perryman operating vertically and then have a slot receiver who gets 4,000 targets in Adam Gates offense, <laughs> as if some of them do, if you have a PPR league and you're in fantasy, always draft Adam Gates slot receiver. Always just, just do it. If week one, against the Buffalo Bills was not enough to convince you of that last year, then I don't I don't really know what should. But this idea 
that you're banking on Rashad Perryman and you're banking on Denzel Mims, both continuing a trajectory is a little bit risky. But in this ideal world, Denzel Mims is able to use his physical tools to dominate early. Think DK Metcalf. Think of someone who ran a limited route tree in college being put in a system that asks him to do the things that he's good at and as such is able to have success early. That's what we're looking for here in the best case scenario for the Jets. Denzel Mims is able to find a great fit where Robbie Anderson couldn't quite necessarily always do it. Robbie Anderson, I think he would probably say himself, was underutilized in the Jets offense the last couple of years. The last best case scenario for the Jets is that Sam Darnold continues his trajectory. And what I mean by that is that Bills fans like to isolate games. And specifically, we like to isolate the games after New England for Josh Allen and say, you know, he really turned the corner there and stopped kind of turning the ball over. His, specifically, his touchdown interception ratio after that game is what we like to use. Well, in the last seven games of the year, Sam Darnold threw 12 touchdowns and four interceptions. So the Jets fans can do that just like Bills fans can. Jets fans can isolate those things and say, look at the trend. Sam Darnold was finally kind of getting in the groove with Adam Gase's offense. The same way that Bills fans can say, you know, Josh Allen really turned it around as far as making kind of hero ball throws. And we would continue that trajectory and we hope that continues forward. Jets fans can do the same stuff. So the last item on the best case scenario for the Jets is that Sam Darnold continues that upward trajectory. Sam Darnold ends up being the quarterback who actually fits Adam Gase's offense well for the first time since Peyton Manning. Because we all know Adam Gase doesn't do a great job of adjusting it to the personnel that he has, which means that Sam Darnold, in the best case scenario, doesn't have to adjust to be it. He already is. Those are the best case scenarios for the Jets this year qualitatively. We're not talking about best case, they win all their games. Well, yeah, of course, best case, they win all their games. But qualitatively, those are the best case things. Worst case scenarios for the New York Jets. The losses of Jamal Adams and C.J. Mosley can't keep the Jets in games. That Greg Williams defense is not nearly as dynamic without Jamal Adams as a chess piece. Jamal Adams can be argued was the Jets' best pass rusher last year you can choose for yourself whether you not you'd like to use that as a positive for Jamal Adams or a negative for the entire Jets defense but Jamal Adams was arguably the best pass rusher that the Jets had CJ Mosley is a huge loss now I understand that they were expecting him to come back and they didn't really have him for most of 2019 anyway but what that means is that you're not able to use Mosley's addition, essentially, coming back to offset Adams, which means it is a 100% net negative. Previously, you traded away Adams. You thought, okay, well, if you're a Jets fan, you're thinking, okay, they traded away Jamal Adams, but we're really getting C.J. Mosley back. So maybe that can kind of help offset the loss. Well, now it's just a straight loss. There is no method by which you can look at this as a positive net for the Jets from a personnel standpoint. And if those two losses allow the Jets to not be able to stay in games and not have their defense keep them in it, and then Sam Darnold 
has to start throwing, 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 throwing to get them out of issues. And then when Sam Darnold starts to throw, 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 he reverts then back into the turnover issues that we saw at USC where he needs to make better decisions with the ball because he's playing from behind and he's got to throw more and the defense is able to key off on him. Those things are all connected. And that's part of the first worst case scenario for the Jets. The second worst case scenario for the Jets is that Adam Gase continues to nullify offensive additions at the skill positions. So Brashad Perryman doesn't get to be his Tampa Bay form because he was a great fit in Bruce Arians' offense. He's not a great fit in Adam Gase's offense. Adam Gase doesn't ask him to do the things that he did well in Tampa Bay. Instead, asks him to do things he doesn't do well and as such minimizes his impact. And we never see that version of Brashad Perryman ever again. Maybe Adam Gase asked Denzel Mims to do a lot of things with deceptive and nuanced route running, double cuts, long developing, double and triple moves that he doesn't necessarily do well at this point because he doesn't have that nuance as a route runner because he's never had to. Adam Gase, in this case, continues to nullify any offensive additions. Now, speaking of skill positions... In this worst-case scenario, Le'Veon Bell does not recapture his Pittsburgh form. Le'Veon Bell ran for 3.2 yards per carry last year and didn't look exactly like the same back. Now, he looked like the same back in flashes. There were moments when he looked like the same back, but overall, he didn't. And you wonder if this is simply Adam Gase not using his running backs correctly, because in a lot of cases, I would just say, well, you know, Le'Veon Bell's lost it. But Adam Gase historically has not done a great job of being able to use his running backs effectively. So maybe he just needed a year in Adam Gase's system to really understand the blocking schemes and the responsibilities. But in the worst case scenario, Le'Veon Bell doesn't recapture that form. Turns out he was washed. In this case, he never recaptures that form, which means that now Sam Darnold isn't really better off at the skill positions than he was last year. He lost Robbie Anderson, he gained Rashad Perryman, he gained Denzel Mims, and Le'Veon Bell doesn't take a step forward. So he didn't really get a big step forward. He gets more time with Chris Herndon, who I think is an underrated player at the tight end position. But Sam Darnold is in the same boat that he was last year, roughly, when it comes to skill positions. Unless we talked about in the best case scenario, Denzel Mims has a rookie year very similar to DK Metcalf. But in this case, if Bell doesn't recapture his form, Sam Darnold's left holding the bag going, seriously, this is what you gave me. Cool. Thanks. I'm going to go try and be a franchise quarterback so that you can keep your job. So how's that sound? The last of the worst case scenarios for the jets for 2020 is that the off season offensive line additions don't pan out. I see a lot of people comparing the offensive line additions that the New York Jets made in 2020 to the offensive line additions that the Buffalo Bills made in 2019, and I actually don't think they're comparable. So let's recap, if you will. The Buffalo Bills added Quentin Spain, Spencer Long, Mitch Morse, John Feliciano as their big offensive line additions last year, and they drafted Cody Ford. The Jets brought in George Fant, Connor McGovern, Greg Van Roten, and Josh Andrews. They brought in those four 
in free agency and then signed Makai Becton. So let's go through each of these people. George Fant switched to football from basketball later in his career and has always been considered a good athlete, but couldn't crack the starting lineup for a bad Seattle offensive line. Do you remember our discussion earlier today about John Feliciano and having a good pro scouting department indicating that they figured out why he couldn't start? Now, was he not starting because he's a bad player or was he not starting because he had good players in front of him in Oakland? For John Feliciano, it was he wasn't starting because he had better players in front of him. John Feliciano ended up being a completely serviceable starter in the NFL, but he had better than serviceable in front of him in Oakland. George Fant couldn't crack a bad Seattle offensive line, which is a little bit different of a scenario. I am optimistic about Connor McGovern as a player, but he only had one season. If you remember correctly, going into the 2019 offseason, there was a question as to whether Matt Paradise or Mitch Morse was going to be the biggest hot ticket center on the offensive line. And it ended up being Mitch Morse and Matt Paradise left, went to Carolina, had a kind of an underwhelming year, and Connor McGovern stepped in for him in Denver and had a pretty decent year. But we don't know if that pretty decent year is just a flash in the pan or if it's optimistic for moving forward. Now, I personally am optimistic about Connor McGovern. I am of the opinion that that's the best free agent signing that the Jets made, but still limited experience. Greg Van Roten is a perfectly fine guard. He's not a great guard. He's not a bad guard. He's fine. I would put him in the Spencer Long sort of category. And Josh Andrews is a rosterable player, but I would never feel comfortable with him as being a preferred starter. So if you compare the offensive line additions that the Jets had to the offensive line additions that the Bills had the previous year, Mitch Morse is one of the best centers in the league. Remember when Jets fans thought that bringing Ryan Khalil out of retirement was better than signing Mitch Morse? That was, that was a fun five seconds. I enjoyed that five seconds of my life. I scrolled through on social media, had a good laugh. Went about my day. It was a good time. I was whistling when I did it. It was good. Hmm. Yeah. Good times. Anyway, I don't think those two things are comparable. Because I think that the only one of these players who I feel comfortable is an upgrade from last year for sure is Connor McGovern. I'm not entirely sure Greg Van Roten is an upgrade from Brian Winters. I don't think George Fant is a significant upgrade in any way. And I don't think Josh Andrews is a significant upgrade. So they brought in bodies, but I don't know if they necessarily increased their talent level at any positions other than center. So in the worst case scenario, these offensive line additions don't pan out. We ended up spending, the Jets did in this case, a bunch of money on four players, only one of which ends up being a reasonable upgrade from what we had the previous year. So that's bad. In that case, you just kind of spun your wheels there. The worst case scenario is they spun their wheels on the offensive line. And if you tie these things together, if they spin their wheels on the offensive line, Le'Veon Bell doesn't recapture his form. Adam Gase continues to nullify offensive additions. Poor Sam Darnold. How grateful am I as a Bills fan to have Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott actually build around Josh Allen after a disastrous 2018 offensive roster that was one of the worst in the history of football 
Look at the 2018 offensive roster for the Buffalo Bills versus the 2020 offensive roster and realize that we gave Josh Allen an opportunity to show us what he's got. I still don't know if Sam Darnold, if he succeeds, I'm not entirely sure I won't be saying he succeeded in spite of Adam Gase and the Jets front office helping him, not because of Adam Gase and the Jets front office helping him. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. That's the end of the Bruce exclusive for this particular episode. We talked about the Jets. Come back tomorrow. We're going to talk about the Dolphins and the Patriots. We're going to wrap up this series. It's going to be a grand old time. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. Rumblings.